how we got here. With over a million immigrants each year coming into America, I thought we would look at some history of borders and immigration. Did you know borders were God's idea? Deuteronomy 32.8 says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples. And then when Israel came into the promised land, God gave borders. Exodus 23, 31, I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates River. No other nation had borders given to it before they even entered the land. God himself set the boundaries and distinguished between peoples and languages and ethnicities. The book of Revelation says that in heaven there will be believers from all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. Some of the earliest borders were uh, Jacob was being chased by his father-in-law Laban, and they set up a pillar at Mizpah so that neither would pass to do harm to the other. And then Joshua sent out the scouts to go into the promised land and come back with descriptions, and he set the boundaries of the different tribes. Boundaries were at first rivers, mountains, coasts, deserts. Israel fulfilled the boundaries given to it by God under the reign of King David. And David was being tempted to go beyond the boundaries. It's referred to in his being tempted to do a census. Now, kings would do a census before they would go on offensive military campaigns. They wanted to count how many soldiers they had. And in other words, David was being tempted to be an Alexander the Great, seven centuries before Alexander the Great. And God convicted David of his sin, and he repented. God said, look, I've given you the borders. Stay in them. Now, God said in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that when his people would sin, God, will, God would allow the borders to be overrun. If you do not hearken to the voice of the Lord, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. A people that you do not know will eat your land, labor, produce. Foreigners who reside among you will rise above you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. They will devour your young uh, of your livestock and the crops of your land. And then finally, the Lord will scatter you into all nations. And so that's what happened. In 721 BC, the king of Assyria overran the kingdom of Israel's borders and took the 10 northern tribes away captive. And then in 597 BC, Nebuchadnezzar overran Judah's borders and took them away captive. King Cyrus let the Jews go back and rebuild, but then in 70 AD, Rome overran the borders and the Jews were scattered around the world for 19 centuries. The Rome, uh, Roman borders. Emperor Hadrian in the Bar Kokhba revolt decided to exterminate the Jews. He killed every descendant of David he could find. He wanted to destroy all their scriptures, destroy their temple, I mean, destroy everything. Uh, this was called the Bar Kokhba revolt, 132-135. And then Hadrian decided to build Hadrian's wall. He set the furthest borders of the Roman Empire. And after that, Rome began to have those borders overrun. And let's look at this. China builds the Great Wall of China in several sections over several centuries. But by the fourth century AD, enough of the Wall of China had been built 
so that the Huns and Mongols could no longer overrun the Chinese border and raid. And so the Huns turned west and would attack a tribe, who would attack another tribe, who would attack another tribe. And it started this domino effect of displaced nomadic tribes across Central Asia that spilled over the Roman borders. And one story that uh, is well known is 406 AD, the Rhine River freezes. It was the border. And thousands of Germanic invaders came in. And the Romans didn't drive them out. And so more came and more came. First, the uh, tribes that were coming over would learn the Latin language and learn the Latin culture. But then after this Rhine River froze and they came over in such large numbers, it's why bother assimilating? And then weakness invites aggression. And so once if they came over in large numbers, the next step was to attack. And then they would surround the Roman cities and sack them. And you had the Visigoths and Ostrogoths and Anglos and Saxons and Jutes and Lombards, Berbers, Suebi, Alans, Vandals. That was the name of one of the tribes, Vandals. And then finally the Huns led by Attila the Hun. And Rome was sacked in 476 AD. Will and Ariel Durant wrote in The Story of Civilization, 1944, if Rome had not engulfed so many men of alien blood in so brief a time, if she had passed all these newcomers through her schools instead of her slums, if she had treated them as men with a hundred potential excellencies, if she had occasionally closed her gates to let assimilation catch up with infiltration, she might have gained new racial and literary vitality from the infusion and might have remained a Roman Rome, the voice and citadel of the West. In other words, think of how much food you eat in a year. Imagine if I were to make you eat that in one day, you would die. <laughs> it would overload the system, <laughs> your body. You need food, but you only eat it as fast as your body can assimilate it. Well, countries need immigrants, right? And they come in and they work hard and they add to it. But you, a prudent policy would be to bring them in at the rate that they can assimilate. Otherwise, it brings collapse. And that's what happened to the Roman Empire. Now, America's borders. You go back to the colonial era and the Appalachian Mountain Range was the border between the French territory and the English. And then after the French and Indian Wars, the British won, and the borders were moved to the Ohio and Mississippi rivers. And then you had the Revolutionary War end, and the Treaty of Paris, 1783, sets the boundaries of the United States, most notably with British Canada. After uh, the new Congress meets, one of the first things they discuss is the western borders of the different states. Landlocked states like Connecticut, didn't like Virginia not having a Western border, which means that it can get really big and have more representatives and control the new government. Connecticut even bought some land, which later turned into Ohio, but it was called the Western Reserve. So they're like, we got some land to, to grow. Borders were set after the War of 1812, the Mexican-American War, 1848, the Gadsden Purchase, where we wanted to have a transcontinental railroad down across the Arizona, New Mexico. So we had to buy some extra land from Mexico. Now, net minus versus net plus. 
what's that? Initially, there were no limits on immigration other than for health reasons, right? In 1849, a cholera epidemic. And unfortunately for um, religious discrimination against Catholics, the country was largely Protestant and there was an Irish potato famine and millions of Irish Catholics come to America and they wanted to limit that uh, immigration for a while. But each new wave of immigrants was a net plus. They provided cheap labor and they came over with innovative ideas. Germans, Irish, Jewish, Polish, Italian, Chinese, right? They would provide the cheap labor and they didn't know the language and they didn't know a skill over here. And so anybody could go down to the port and hire some immigrants and they would learn the language, they would learn the business, learn the job, learn how to do the, the farming and so forth. And then they would pool their resources they would live together in, in the same house, lots of them. And the welfare net was extended family members and churches. There was no government welfare net. So they weren't costing the taxpayer anything. They were just providing inexpensive labor and new ideas and new solutions. And so every new wave of immigrants pushed everyone else up the economic ladder. And so they were welcomed and they were wanted. And then you had in the 1960s, the welfare program was being put in place. And this meant that every immigrant that came over was signing up for welfare. They were an immediate economic drain, a net minus, whether they contributed or, or not. Um, if they were drawing from the welfare, uh, they were a financial expense to the city and state and the nation. Now, uh, the initial plan of let as many come in as possible and they'll work hard and they'll be able to help everybody else move up the economic ladder. Uh, as they became successful and made contributions to society, they overcame racial stereotypes and discrimination and they rose in public respect. Uh, you read when the, the Irish first came over, they were cartoons making fun of them in the newspapers and so forth. But then finally, they, they ended up getting involved, being successful, and then they were respected. So Booker T. Washington encouraged this path for the freed slaves after the Civil War. He founded the National Negro Business League, stating, no man who continues to add something to the material, intellectual, and moral well-being of the place in which he lives is left without proper reward. Booker T. Washington stated, I want to see my race live in such high and useful lives that they will not merely be tolerated, but they shall be needed and wanted. Booker T. Washington added, anyone can seek a job, but it requires a person of rare ability to create a job. What we should do in our schools is turn out fewer job seekers and more job creators. Well, once welfare programs were put in place, immigrants that came over and signed up for them were an, an immediate burden on the taxpayers, and so they were a net minus. And so you had net plus, net minus. The difference is the welfare programs. Now, political immigration. And, and again, prior to the government welfare programs, the extended family members and the churches were the welfare program. Political immigration. So after World War II, 
You had brand new countries coming into existence in Europe, in the Middle East, in India, and so forth. And it looked hopeful, except the Soviet Union wanted to make these countries their satellites. And uh, they would send people into these countries to destabilize them. And it's called the Cloward Piven Strategy. Richard Cloward, Francis Piven were Columbia University professors, and they were socialists. And they said, it's too difficult to take over countries with tanks through the front door. It's easier to do it through the back door by destabilizing the economy, printing lots of money, inflating the currency so that you can buy less and less and less and cause everybody to suffer economic hardship so that they go to the government and say, help. And the government says, we'll help here, sign up for welfare. And once they sign up, you got them because human nature is such that if you're getting free money, you sort of want to keep it coming. And so you will vote for the party and the candidates that promise to keep it coming. So it was a way to increase a voter base. Now, this Cloward Piven strategy resulted in people surrendering their lives to the government and the government taking control in a socialist communist fashion, but it was done voluntarily through the back door, through the Cloward Piven strategy. It included flooding countries with immigrants, signing them up, and then to collapse the economy. And then the people will begin to want to have a leadership change in their country. And then they would have these immigrant groups not assimilate. They wanted to keep them with their own identities, so it would break up the unity of the country. And they could use them to do the critical race theory, the victims, oppressors, haves and have nots, and they would stir them up and orchestrate riots and protests. And then when it got uh, domestic insurrection enough, uh, there would be a demand for a leadership change and they would do a coup or rigged election. Dozens of countries after World War II fell through this process and became satellite states of the Soviet Union. But in America, it was Lyndon Johnson was the main one that promoted this in, in order to build a voter base for his party. Um, so uh, with the advent of uh, television, uh, it was easy to see the way that the Democrat Party in the South were treating the, the Blacks. And so you would have um, the uh, Birmingham, Alabama and Bull Connor, and he would be sicking dogs on the blacks and hosing them down on the streets. And, and they started, the Democrats started the KKK and these vigilante groups and Jim Crow laws and black codes. And with the television, now the whole country is seeing the way this is being done. And so Lyndon Johnson said, we need to do a big switch from intimidation to entitlement. And so that's when they began to push the Great Society Welfare State to sign up as many people for welfare. And once they sign up, you got their vote. And then it was Lyndon Johnson and Senator Edward Kennedy around 1965 that changed the immigration quotas to bring in more immigrants so that you could enroll them in entitlement programs and build a Democrat voter base. And liberal churches helped with this. And they would get kickbacks from the government for helping to bring over uh, these immigrants and sign them up for welfare programs, building the, the voter base for that particular party. One need only ask themselves a question. Um, if every immigrant coming to America 
was going to be a Republican voter, would this administration continue to want to let them in at this rate? Well, maybe an idea would be to scale back on the welfare programs provided by the government and let the churches and the extended families fill the gap like they used to and be the welfare net. And maybe adjust the rate of immigration to the rate of assimilation. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, I hope this brief look at borders and immigration through history has been insightful. God bless.